0: Welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher in Utah, and I want to change the mental health game. The Therapy Thoughts Podcast is all about breaking down therapy related topics and making mental health information easy to understand and super accessible. So, join me for quick and direct educational episodes. And some deeper dives with experts from around the world. Together, we are gonna break down stigma. We're gonna help each other make peace with mind, body, and food. We're gonna make therapy cool and invest time in our mental health. Let's do it here, one therapy thought at a time. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a really important episode of the Therapy Thoughts podcast. I finally get to talk to my friend, Lauren Newman. She is a registered dietitian who's passionate about helping individuals with diabetes. And she's all about helping them make peace with food and their bodies. Lauren uses a health at every size approach and intuitive eating principles to help clients connect with their body's needs and learn to respond without rigidity, restriction, or shame. We get to break down diabetes and having a great relationship with food and some of the complications and stigmas and issues that folks dealing with all the various types of diabetes might face. And she gives us a couple tips on how to have a great relationship with food. So tune in, share this episode. I know I learned a ton. Hope you enjoy it. All right, Therapy Thoughts fam, we got a good one. This is my friend coming in hot from, are you in Texas? Yep. Texas. Lauren Newman, registered dietitian, expert in all things diabetes and eating disorders. Welcome.
1: Thanks. So glad to be here. I was actually just thinking about it. It's been like a year since you were down here, which is wild. Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're one of my few Instagram friends who I've actually met in real life. Now I spoke at the Houston eating disorder specialist Mm -hmm. conference and we got to go, we got coffee and pastries at some cute little place, right? Oh, we ate crawfish. Yes. (laughs) It was awesome. Your very first crawfish experience. It was wild. And I should be living in Texas. I feel like, you know, it's, it's an interesting place so (laughs) okay uh tell us give us a little bio tell us who you are what you do what's up yeah for sure um so
1: i'm lauren i am a registered dietitian I am currently in Houston, Texas, although I'm actually moving back to Austin in a couple weeks, so that's exciting. Um, but yeah, I'm a registered dietitian. I specialize in working with people who have diabetes and working with them on you know, developing a healthier relationship with food, with their bodies, and with their diabetes management. So I have a private practice here. Um, I see clients from all over the country though. I'm licensed in quite a few States and, um, just really, really enjoy working in this population and, you know, get to work with some of the coolest people in the world. I think, um, if you, you know, ask for my opinion, they are absolutely the coolest people. So I love my clients. They're awesome. They teach me so much and, you know, there's just such a a lack of support and community in, in this specific space in the eating disorder field. So that's what I do.
0: Oh, gosh. So I'm going to have just a lot of genuine questions because I know nothing. And so I think <laughs> a lot of people are like me and know nothing. So this is going to be Diabetes 101. Perfect. Sounds good. So, well, I'm, I'm curious before we jump into like logistics, why, why is this like your niche? Why is this your, your passion?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was super fortunate uh, to learn a heck of a lot about intuitive eating, health at every size, like that whole world um, before I even, you know, was finished with undergrad, which is highly unusual in the Mm -hmm. dietetics field. If you are unfamiliar with how this system works, I would say, you know, somewhere around 90 to 95% of what we learn in school as dietitians, like totally contributes to eating disorders. So um super fortunate to learn all of that pretty early on before I started my career. And at the time, and I I mean, I still feel like it's kind of this way. The people who are talking about this stuff and the people who work in, in this kind of way and practice from this approach are people who work with eating disorders. And I didn't particularly want to work with eating disorders. And so, you know, from the time I learned about all of this, I was like, yeah, that you know, that makes sense. That's kind of how I want to practice that totally vibes with, you know, my values and who I am as a human. However, I really don't think I want to work in eating disorders. And so I was kind of on the hunt for how do I do this in any other way. And um ironic because I did wind up working in eating disorders and starting my <laughs> career in that space um spoiler alert but I, yeah. <laughs> I know I feel like that's everybody in the not everybody the majority of people in the eating disorder field are like I don't want to touch that with like a 10-foot pole I'm not going near that and then you know here we are so um it's you know it was interesting and so I was kind of like on the alert for that and you know aware of it and then wound up um having an experience where I uh, I actually went back to work at a summer camp that I had gone to as a kiddo. And I I grew up going there. And just, you know, it was one of those summers where you're just like, I don't want to do anything related to my degree. I just want to have fun and not try and build my resume for like once in my life. Um, So I was like, I'm gonna go work at camp. That sounds fun. Um, yeah, well, wound up with a kiddo in my bunk who had type one diabetes and wound up, you know, turned into some resume building stuff anyway but learned so much about diabetes like you think you learn about it in school and then you actually go and like eat sleep breathe with somebody who actually has it and is you know dealing with it day in and day out and then you're partially responsible for keeping that human alive and you Mm. learn so much and it's just uh there's no way that they could actually teach you all the things they actually need to, you need to understand when you're in school. So, you know, got thrown into that situation and very, very, very quickly realized how, how much diabetes affects somebody's relationship with food. Like Mm -hmm. just, it was, you know, from the first moment I was like, that's, yeah, that's what's happening. Um, And this kid was 12. So, you know, I'm in a, a bunk of, 13, 12 year olds for eight weeks. And they're, you know, typical 12 year olds, the way I like to describe this group of humans. And I'm sure if they, some of them follow me on Instagram, so I'm sure they're gonna listen to this episode and they'll laugh at it. But, um, you know, we would play music in the bunk during cleanup. And the, the playlist would go from like Frozen to some hardcore rap song and like then to Hamilton and then, you know, some like other really explicit song and just like bouncing around. And that's how I like to describe these 12 year olds, which it, they were wonderful and I adore them all, um, but relevant because, you know, that's around that age where people's relationship with food really starts to shift. So mm-hmm. when you spend all this time with a really awesome group of 12 year olds who are super freaking cool, you start to pick up on um, some of them are still really, you know, in that intuitive place with their relationship with food, with their bodies, with how they're engaging in the world. And then some of them are very much not. And then you have this, you know, kid with diabetes, who is in an entirely different category, because Mm -hmm. it's just so different. So that really, stuck with me. And in that experience, tried to find resources about this intersection and about, you know, people and even just anybody talking about relationship with food with diabetes. How do you have a healthy relationship with food with diabetes? How do you do intuitive eating if you have diabetes? And there was just nothing. So, I was like, yep, that that's what I'm going to do. Like that <laughs> that makes sense and there's not anything else really out there and I was just frustrated that I couldn't find anything else because if there's no. I was like, there's no way, and I hadn't even, you know, seen all the numbers and all the statistics and all the research yet. But I was like, there's no way that she's the only one who's like this. Like the way that this, the way that you know, specifically type one, but you know, all kinds of diabetes play out. There's no way that you can, you know, move through that diagnosis and that the way you have to take care of yourself without, you know, a complicated relationship with food arising at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: Do you so think it would be are. worth
0: yeah, do you think it'd be worthwhile to do like a 60 second explanation of diabetes type 1 versus type 2? I mean, truly I'm I've learned yeah. this at conferences and I still don't <laughs> understand and I always take notes. So yeah. Pardon pardon my ignorance, but I think a lot of us just don't know. Yeah, no, that I mean I I
1: you're so correct. Like people just don't know. And what people think that they do know is often rooted in a lot of stereotypes and mm-hmm. false information. Um, so I guess, first of all, for for basic basics, there's more than just type one and type two. Um, okay. There's, yeah. Okay, basic let's basics. go. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I actually I wish I could list all of the things off the top of my head. But, you know, we have type one, type two, gestational diabetes, we have something called LADA, L-A-D-A, there's something called MODY, M-O-D-Y. We have people who have um, cystic fibrosis related diabetes. So somebody with cystic fibrosis has some damage to their pancreas, which can uh, turn into diabetes, which is a totally separate type in and of itself. We have people who have issues with their pancreas for other reasons, um, and sometimes have it removed or Portions of it removed, and then that leads to a totally different kind of diabetes. So there's there's a lot there's a lot in here. Um, yeah. So I, I feel I need to do justice to all of my clients who don't fit those traditional molds of diabetes, and let everybody know that there's more than just type one and type two. Thank uh, you. Yes. Yeah, but you know, basic type one and type two are definitely the most common. And the the way I like to explain the difference is that you know they both have to do with insulin. I'm sure, you know, most people have heard of insulin at some point in your life. Um, But with type one, you have somebody whose body is just not making the insulin that they need. Um, Insulin is made in our pancreas. And uh, with type one, there's something going on with the specific cells in your pancreas that no longer make insulin. So that's kind of what's going on there. And then there's a whole set of things that unfold when you don't have insulin in your body. And type two is different because people are people with type two are still making insulin um, for the most part, especially in the beginning. Like they're still making insulin. So there's still insulin there, but it's not really communicating with that person's cells in their body. And so it's just not working efficiently. And so that's uh, that's what type two winds up looking like. So it's an issue with the insulin on both sides. And uh, but it's just slightly different the way that it actually plays out internally.
0: Okay, what's this got to do with carbs and sugar?
1: (laughs) So the reason why insulin is important, and it's a really big deal if there's something funky going on with that, is because insulin is what helps our body actually utilize carbs. So when we eat food, and we digest it, then It gets broken down into glucose molecules, which is what, you know, a carb is just made up of a whole bunch of different glucose molecules strung together in a variety of different ways. Um, So when we're digesting it and breaking food down, like that's, we're breaking it down to its molecular level. So we're breaking it down into a glucose molecule. Then it gets absorbed and it goes from our intestines into our bloodstream. That's that absorption part. And then in our bloodstream, it gets circulated to different areas of our body that need it. Where our it's going to move from our bloodstream into our cells, so that way our cells can use it for energy. So it's going on this whole little roller coaster (laughs) throughout our body, and you know, in order for the glucose to actually get into the cell, we need insulin to do that. Like that's its job. It moves glucose from our bloodstream into our cells. Um, Some people use the analogy of you know, in order for the glucose to get into the cell, you have to open the door. Well, insulin is the key that unlocks the door, so Mm. that way it can get inside. So, you know, there's a lot of things that come up around carbs and and glucose and sugar and whatever when we're talking about diabetes because insulin is, you know, what allows our body to actually utilize all of that.
0: Okay. So, immediately it's just someone who knows nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. I hear the stigma all the time of like weight loss is how you manage your diabetes. You can't eat sugar. You can't eat carbs because of this. And I know enough to know that that's extremely problematic. So Heck yeah. break, break that down because people are going to listen to have diabetes who have been fed those lies from their healthcare professionals. Right. And mm-hmm. so how come they need carbs and sugar and what help us understand this yeah. like conflict. Right. Yeah, for
1: sure. So I guess a helpful place to start is, like you said, um, we need carbs, no matter who you are, uh, if you have diabetes or not, like you you still need carbs, our bodies do not function without them. Um, Specifically, our brains don't function very well without them. They're, you know, I don't remember the exact number. But, you know, there's breakdowns that you can look at in terms of how many grams of carbohydrate. Um, or glucose each organ in your body needs every single day just to function because carbs give us energy. Like We we don't function without them. So you need them. Um, There are so many false messages out there about, you know, what this looks like. And like you mentioned, a lot of uh, stigma and shame that gets perpetuated by healthcare providers as well. And Quite frankly, just a lot of mis- misinterpretation of what the research is actually telling us. So, you know, with um, in somebody without diabetes, what's going to happen in their body is they're going to eat food, and you know, it's going to go through that roller coaster system that we talked about, where you know we eat it and digest it and absorb it, and it goes into our bloodstream, and that means that there's going to be more glucose in our bloodstream right after our body absorbs all of it. Um, So that means our blood sugar is going to rise. And then our pancreas is going to be totally functional and totally awesome and give us the insulin that we need and do it without us even having to think about it. And, you know, then our blood sugar levels will come back down and it's all going to be fine. Um, Our body just regulates all of that on its own. And somebody that, you know, has diabetes, like we said, there's, you know, with type one, they're not making insulin. So if they're going to eat food, then they have to find some way to get insulin. Otherwise, the glucose is just going to hang out in their bloodstream and not go anywhere. And they're going to feel pretty shitty and just not going to work out too well. So, you know, with type one diabetes, that's why people are giving themselves insulin injections or they're on a pump or something that's giving them insulin all the time. And so, you know, they have that extra step of I have to, you know, instead of my body doing it automatically, I have to sit there and, you know, calculate and do some math and figure out what my body would do if I didn't have diabetes and try and mirror that. Mm. Um, And so they do that and then all goes well. Um, Doesn't all go well because it's just way too complicated. We can't ever possibly function the same way that our bodies would without us thinking about it. Um, So it it gets messy, but in general, it works. Um, With type two diabetes, there's still insulin there, right? So we eat the food, we digest it, we absorb it, still insulin there. Um, but it's not working as efficiently. So for example, if I threw like one ball at you and asked you to catch it, you'd be able to catch it assuming you have like relatively decent hand-eye coordination. Um, if I threw two balls at you, you might, you know, at the same time, you might be able to catch it. If you're like really talented, if I throw three, that might get a little bit harder. If I throw four, that might be harder. Right. Um, well, in order for me to be able to continue throwing all those balls at you, you might have to put one down first, right? You'd say, Okay, Lauren, like, throw me one ball, put it down, and then I'll take the other one. um, And then go through that process, right? So that's kind of what's happening in the body of somebody with type two. So we're where the glucose is the balls, right? We're throwing the balls at them and and saying, you know, I've just ate this food, here's some glucose, like go do something with it. Um, But the because there's you know, some dysfunction with how the insulin and the cell are communicating, it's not that efficient. So it'd be almost as if I asked you to like, keep one hand behind your back and do all of that, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. even if I throw one ball at you, and with two hands, you'd be able to catch it. uh, Now you can maybe only half the time catch it. And so it's just going to take longer, right? And so if we need to still get all of those balls, and like, you know, in some basket, or you to catch all of them, then You know, it's just going to take longer because you might miss a couple and then you have to go run after it and get wherever it came from and then put it back or you might need somebody else to help you. And so it just takes longer. So what that means in that person's body is that their blood sugar is, you know, rising a little bit higher than it would in somebody without diabetes and it's staying there a little bit longer. If we don't do anything about that, then, you know, it continues to rise and rise and it continues to stay there longer and longer. And, you know, it's just not very efficient so the body the cells aren't getting the glucose that they actually need to function and you know we have some pretty high blood sugar which leads to some other complications so you know one if i'm throwing all these balls at you you might just say okay lauren like just stop throwing balls at me and then everything would be better right Mm -hmm. okay cool like yeah you know it would but if you actually need the balls for something then that you know it doesn't really solve your problem So similarly, you know, people will say, well, just don't eat so many carbs. Like don't throw as many balls at Tiffany and then it will be fine. Um, I mean, sure. Yeah. Like then, you know, maybe your blood sugar will rise as much, but that still doesn't really address the issue that I've asked you to tie a hand behind your back and catch a ball with one hand. Mm -hmm. Like that still doesn't actually address the issue of what's going on. So, you know, that's part of where this idea of just eat less carbs comes from, um, And for some people, that's really helpful. Um, For some people with type two, you know, that that's somewhat helpful for them. And they, you know, are able to keep their blood sugar somewhat lower. For some people with type one, keeping their carbs lower means that they have to do less math to figure out how much insulin they need. And that makes it a lot easier on their brain and just, you know, less stressful to function. Um, But (laughs) it doesn't actually address what's going on. Mm -hmm. And as you and I will know, when we tell somebody not to eat carbs, what happens?
0: Yeah. And and that's what I'm thinking about. Like, cool. We can, let's solve one problem, which is like, don't throw so many balls, just eliminate the carbs. But I'm like, Mm -hmm. what's the fallout? The fallout is you have a fucked up relationship with food now. Yeah, exactly. And why isn't that as important? Right. And I, so Mm -hmm. I, I love this analogy. So keep going with it. Like, you're gonna we're restricting carbs it's gonna set you up to binge it's gonna set you up to like fixate and ruin your intuitive sense but so yeah how do we figure that out
1: well it would be helpful if uh, the people who say those things would you know look maybe like a week two weeks three months a year into what that actually looks like and see that you know overall i mean yeah it might help lower somebody's sugar, and if they can get through that without it affecting their relationship with food and that's how they want to live their life like that's totally fine if that's what's working for you if you're listening to this and that's what's working and you're totally cool with it and it's not affecting your relationship with food go for it if you're listening to this I'm assuming that like your relationship with food has been <laughs> affected in some way um but you know that it's gonna set you up to binge, it's gonna set you up for a really funky relationship with food, where you're feeling a lot of guilt and shame about what you're eating. And, you know, what do you think happens to somebody's blood sugar, if they're restricting and then binging, if I'm like, okay, Tiffany, you know, hold on, like, I'm gonna stop throwing balls at you, it's fine. And then you're like, okay, cool, I can relax, like, I'm fine. Um, you know, and it's all good. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, Oh, oh, I got to throw some balls again, like, I got the urge to throw them at you. And now I've got like, 50 of them going at you all at once, because, you know, now I've, I'm like, binging, throwing the balls. Um, yeah. That's gonna make it even harder for you. Because you're like, mm. Oh, God, now I'm like, I, what, like, no, I, I couldn't even do this with like, 10 of them. And now you're throwing 50 at me like what? No. Um, so, you know, from a blood sugar perspective, it actually long term doesn't really help out all that much when we're talking about stabilizing blood sugar and regulating that to just say, you know, well, yeah, just don't eat carbs. <laughs> it doesn't really work out all too well. Um, and so, you know, we, we really need people to eat carbs on a consistent basis. And I guess the other important thing to note is that food and, and carb intake is only one tiny, tiny piece of the puzzle. Like there are so, so, so many things that affect our blood sugar, some of which we maybe have some like quote unquote control over, uh, some of which we really can't do very much about, hmm. um, so, you know, there's a. If you're curious, there's a really great list on um, a website called Diatribe of 42 different factors that affect somebody's blood sugar. Uh, I, I don't particularly particularly recommend reading every single bit of information on that website. Some of it is pretty disordered and can be a little bit triggering. But um, just that list in and of itself helps to put into perspective you know, just the, the vast amount of things that can be at play that are that's affecting somebody's blood sugar. So when we add that into the equation, you know, there's, it, it starts to get to this point where it's like, okay, yeah, maybe you are seeing some benefit and some lower blood sugar or stabilized blood sugar by eating less carbs. But does that actually, you know, long term really play out all that well for you? Like, which is more important, your Big picture, like relationship with food, overall health and well being, mental health, all of that, um, and the potential for all these blood sugar swings to disappear. Or, you know, maybe in one particular moment, you look at your blood sugar readings and they look a little bit lower.
0: Hmm. I mean, I'm listening to all of this. I'm just sh- nodding my head because, I mean, the podcast is called Therapy Thoughts. It always comes back mm-hmm. to like mental health. And we talk so much about food and body because it's part of it. And I'm, I appreciate a lot of the nuance where you're like, if this works for you, if restricting carbs is keeping you stable and you're cool, by all means, like we yeah. autonomy, body autonomy, we're not here to shame you like the rest of our patriarchal society does. <laughs> However, that's not working for a lot of people. And a lot of people are stuck and in this cyclical diet cycle. So I love the permission and the information. Like if doctors even had this on their radar and can give folks the support because the mental health deteriorating because of this restriction is is that less important than like a stable blood sugar level? What is happening to people? So thank you for permission either way, but the empowerment of information is so, is so needed. So let's keep going. We have <laughs> so many thoughts. Wow. Go. Yes.
1: No, I it. just, just so many <laughs> thoughts. Like, you know, you know, you're, you're so right. Like there's the permission to do what's actually going to be best for you is, Something that I don't—I mean, in general, not enough people get the permission to do that. Um, But specifically in the diabetes world, there's so much pressure from like endocrinologists or just like the diabetes online community about you know, well, this is what you're going to do, and this is how it's supposed to look, and this is you know what what it's what it needs to be. And there's so much perfectionism in there, and rigidity that it, all of the nuance is lacking, all of it. I mean, frequently what I wind up talking about with clients is this idea that health is so much more than just your blood sugar. Like, sure, your blood sugar is part of your, your health and your well-being. And if that's something that's important and a value to you, then, yeah, we'll work on that. Um, but we also need to zoom out a little bit. And even just within our physical health and well-being, there's so many other things that could be going on. And then we zoom out from there and say, you know, there's more than just our physical health and well-being. There's, you know, our emotional well-being, our mental health, our, you know, social relationships and connections, our, like, financial health and stability. Like, all all of it is important and all of it is relevant. And, yeah, I guess that's, you know, something that gets lost so frequently in these conversations that people are having with their providers.
0: Yeah. Can I get controversial here? Go for it. Okay. So the big movement now is ketones. And neurologists uh, recommend the keto diet. A lot of like progressive medical people are like, this is what we need. Blood sugar's hijacked. We're all like insulin resistant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I live with chronic migraines and... A lot of them are recommending that, like your blood sugar spikes trigger migraines. And I do see that. I've been trying to figure out what the hell I can do. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these people are arguing, right, like some bodies function better. And we also know you need carbs to literally run your brain. So... What do we tell people? Because we are saying like if something helps you, cool. And if you're good with your relationship with food, you do you. But I'm personally very concerned about people doing ketosis particularly or keto long term. It's contraindicated in the research long term. So it's not an effective way to manage anything, let alone diabetes, right? But I need you to speak to that as a dietitian who understands because I'm – Absolutely. I don't know what to tell my clients. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, okay, back up to square one, Um, keto as a a diet and naming it in that way, um, was initially developed for to treat a particular type of epilepsy in children. Um, That's what it was, you know, initially designed for, for anybody that doesn't know that this isn't like some new, well, it is some new trendy thing. But this isn't a new concept. This is something that was uh, has been around for a very long time. Um, it's just gotten, you know, adapted to all sorts of other areas now. And like you're saying, you know, the research on applying this in other areas isn't super solid, especially long term, we know that there are uh, really, uh, there are some consequences to that. And, you know, even in treating kiddos with, with epilepsy with keto, like, it, it's not a long term solution. Um, so we know that that's not great long term, I guess we're what feels important to me in this topic is the idea of like how we're, we're labeling things and how we're identifying with the way that we're eating. Um, You know, yeah, we're saying do what's going to work for you and figure out what's going to feel best for you and your body. And if sometimes eating lower carb options or like foods that are marketed or labeled or recipes that are labeled as keto, like is somewhat helpful in certain moments for, like your your blood sugar or for your migraines or for whatever like okay cool like then you know in those moments that that might be helpful for you but do we do we need to label it as keto mm-hmm. and if we do then I really encourage you to you know sit down and spend some time thinking about it or talking about it in, in therapy or with your dietitian. like why that label feels so important to you mm-hmm. um because if we can move away from labeling it as like I'm keto or I'm doing keto or I'm, I'm low carb or I'm vegan or whatever it is um, for the sake of the label and the identity around it, then, you know, we're really just doing intuitive eating because we're doing what's feeling best for our body.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. The holding to a diet is like a savior. Like if I do this, this gives me certainty. I can control this thing. It's so appealing. Like I get mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I never want a migraine again and if like I could do a diet and it solves it I'd be stoked. Um unfortunately what I know is more guaranteed is an eating disorder. So that's what we need to talk about but it's it's like yeah, if you are using these principles or your body responds better, that's what intuitive eating is. Yeah. These diet labels aren't going to save you from any any of these health issues, right? I know we're a little bit of a tangent here, but I think a lot of folks with diabetes are getting the same messaging yeah. that any doctor says, this is what's going to cure you. And yeah, we got beef with that.
1: Oh, totally. And you know, the analogy that I, that I, I'm all full of analogies, but um, the analogy I really like to use for that idea that, you know, e- eating keto or low carb or whatever is going to cure you or fix all the problems, kind of like we've said before, right, if I just stop throwing balls at you, it doesn't, uh, doesn't make the actual issue go away. So you know, my, my analogy for that is, okay, if you uh, need glasses to see, um, or to like read things or to see long distances, whatever, like you need to wear glasses. Um, you know, you could putting on the glasses doesn't fix the fact that you have poor eyesight, or some issues with your eyes going on. Um, you could Totally say. I just don't want to wear glasses, and like, you know, I, I just, I'm just not going to read anything ever again. Like, I'm just not going to read. It doesn't affect my my job. It doesn't affect me day to day. Like, I don't really need them. You know, I I can just get really close to the page, and like, you know, it doesn't really affect me. Like, I can still function. Um, but it still doesn't fix the fact that you know you're, you have poor eyesight. Just not engaging in those activities where you would need glasses doesn't change the fact that you still need glasses to see. So similarly, you know, you could say, all right, like I just don't want to eat carbs and then my blood sugar is going to be fine or I'm going to do the keto diet or whatever and my blood sugar is going to be totally stable and my in, in range and whatever. Uh, OK, cool. If you can totally go the rest of your life and it doesn't affect your, you know, your day to day life and your well-being mentally, emotionally, how you engage in work and uh, stay present with your friends and family, it doesn't affect any of that to not eat carbs and to eat keto. Like, OK, cool. Right. Go for it. But this still doesn't change the fact that you if you were to eat them. You still have insulin resistance. You still aren't making insulin. Whatever it is that's you know going on in your body, like doesn't change the fact that that's what's still happening. So you could totally you know take off your glasses and say this doesn't affect my day to day life. I can just get real close to the screen whenever I need to read something on there, and I'm fine. I don't need glasses, um, but you still have poor eyesight.
0: Mic drop. <laughs> I'm just like freaking la- like shaking my head when you're saying all that stuff. Like yeah. Just stay in ketosis the rest of your life. It won't affect you. Family gatherings, your relationship with food, your body right. image. Oh, this weight loss cycle. Like I, I shake my head because I'm like, we know how this goes. Right. And, and if
1: you can genuinely do that and you are genuinely not affected by it or it doesn't bother you that you're affected by it. Like you totally have the right and the autonomy in your body to say that that's what you're going to do and how you're going to live. Like that is Okay. If you're listening to this, again, I highly suspect that there's something going on that you're saying this isn't working for me.
0: Yeah. You can hear the latter everywhere else. And so I'm so grateful for your education and expertise and us saying, hey, you're not broken if these unrealistic recommendations aren't working for you. And you're telling us why they aren't. And I think that that's so, so validating for so many people listening. Like, wow. Wow what's wrong with me? How come I keep wanting carbs? Well, you're literally a human being who needs carbs. Mm-hmm. And if you struggle and if you've been told to lose weight or been told to avoid these things and you, you feel stuck, you're not broken. It's not your fault. And that's why Lauren's here is to kind of say, look, you can have a cool relationship with food and navigate this disease. So that's your jam, right? Like that's the whole what is you can have a cool relationship with food with diabetes. So what's, I mean, what's that look like?
1: Oh, gosh, I ask this question to clients all the time. Um, Actually, I do some groups as well. And on the first week of every single uh, series of groups that I run, I ask them this question, and everybody looks at me like I have three heads, because um, (laughs) it's just such a foreign concept. And I I, it's actually on my mind, because I started a new group last night. And one of the group participants was like, it's just not possible. Like, it's just not and I was like, "Mm, Okay, cool. We'll we'll see how that goes. Um, But you know, it it depends on the person because like we said before, when we're talking about what this looks like, it really does depend on the person because some people's bodies feel better eating in one particular way or the other. And, you know, some people, there are so many factors that affect our blood sugar and there are so many tools to manage blood sugar and manage diabetes and keep tabs on what's going on. So many different medications, tools, technologies, like apps, like uh, there's just so much. So, you know, I, To sum it up, I would say that what it looks like is figuring out what the heck actually works for you and your body and you feeling like overall big picture well. Um, So not just A1C, not just blood sugar, not just physical health, like overall well. Whatever you need to do and whatever tools, technologies, meds, people support whatever you need to do to get there like that's what it looks like and so specifically it's gonna look so different for every single person I never have I've literally never had two clients that you know wind up doing this in the exact same way because it just looks so different
0: I'm sitting here like having so many thoughts because (laughs) therapy is my game. Dietetics is your game. And it's like, we're one-on-one or in groups of people and we, we hash out nuance and struggle. Like that's the work. And we come on a podcast, we go on Instagram and we're like, here's nuggets. Yeah. And there's so much to say about this and it's so individualized. And I want to be like, okay, so what works for you might feel good for your body. Mm-hmm. But mentally, you're struggling because you're like, I want things that don't feel good. And how do I get satisfied if the things that make me feel good aren't satisfying? And i you're like, all of this nuance of the struggle, there's no direct black or white answers. And I hope you're feeling like Lauren's humanity and my humanity of like, this is a journey intuitive eating and having a good relationship with food is like any other relationship. There's breakdowns, there's ruptures, there's experiments there's it takes time and i just want to send compassion like this is tricky especially if you got a medical condition that feels better with like medical intervention nutrition intervention and mentally the toll that takes so i love that your answer is kind of a non-answer of like "Eh, it depends (laughs) and it's you one-on-one and what's that look like for you like yeah responsibility is on all y'all listening to figure that out it's it's Harder than just following a diet, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I could, you know, come up here with some specific formula of like do X plus Y and then you're gonna get recovery, like whatever. Like it just doesn't work that way. And so, you know, if you if you are listening to this and you do have diabetes, I would really encourage you, a really good place to start is to take inventory of what you are currently doing to manage your diabetes and manage your relationship with food and make a list. And start to look at, for each of those things that you're doing, how is it helpful for your relationship with food? And how is it unhelpful for your relationship with food? And perhaps that leads you to consider what you want to continue utilizing for support and what you might want to toss out the window, because it's maybe, you know, there are more cons than pros to doing that. And then you can take a further step of looking into what are some other tools and techniques and strategies and technology that are available to me to maybe meet some some gaps in what's going on for me. So if you need support doing that, definitely uh, use a team for that. Because like Tiffany said, we hash out all the nuance and all of the nitty gritty of everything in sessions. And that's, you know, you can't get that on Instagram. You can't get that on podcasts. It's just the work is too individualized for that.
0: Folks are real lucky. You just gave like two really deep suggestions of work. Like you can get education and listen, but you take this pen and paper approach, that inventory Mm -hmm. list. And I love how you said what's helpful and unhelpful with my relationship with food. That's the focus. You're not just looking at blood sugar because that is only one piece of the pie. Mm -hmm relationship with food and then how do I fill those gaps like this is great content thank you if you have any other suggestions for folks living with diabetes of like where they start and what they can do I think that that is priceless
1: I think my other place to start would be taking a look at who's part of your support team um, and do you actually feel comfortable with those people and if you don't let's find new people or more mm-hmm. people
0: brilliant can we piggyback on that if you're if you don't live with diabetes but you have a loved one who does how can we not be buttholes to the people in our lives like what can the support people do like i'm thinking of so many friends i'm going to send this podcast to who live with diabetes and i need i need the guidance of how to be a better supporter
1: i would say uh sit down with that person and have a conversation about what they actually need. I think so frequently as support people, and this is true in so many different areas, not just with diabetes, like we think that, you know, we're doing something that's helpful or something that is productive, um, or we're responding to something in the way that we would want to be responded to. But that's just not what is resonating with that person and you know the intention is good and the intention is there and the way it actually lands is is off base and so sit down with that person and you know really have a conversation about how you can support them and how you can be there and that might mean that they Don't want you there. Don't want you involved at all. Hmm. Sometimes there are just too many cooks in the kitchen and people Mm -hmm. are like, I just need you to be my friend and like, just be there and like do normal friendship with me because like I have way too many people, you know, just for perspective with, you know, with diabetes, People usually will have, you know, they have their endo, they have their primary care doctor, they have their perhaps a CDE, a certified diabetes educator. They have, you know, uh, they have eye doctors, they have a heart doctor, they have like so many different like physicians and medical people in their lives. And you know, a lot, a lot of times they're in therapy and so they have their therapist. And then they have, you know, their family. And there's just so many people that sometimes that gets overwhelming. And so, you know, totally be prepared for somebody to just say like, I, I. need you to just butt out and just be my friend because that's what's going to feel best for me
0: yeah i love that that and expecting boundaries and asking about boundaries hey what boundaries Mm do you want to set with me like what if all relationships operated with that mindset
1: (laughs) that's amazing
0: Let's talk about healthy boundaries.
1: Oh, my goodness. Only in our world do do conversations start that way on a consistent basis. I
0: know. Oh, I love it. Gosh. uh, I want you to make an Instagram graphic that's 20 things not to say to people with diabetes.
1: Oh, gosh. I could probably come up with a thousand. Um, (laughs) I will do that just for you. I will do that best for you,
0: Tiffany. You know, like, I love making those kinds of lists. And it's mostly because of all my lived experience, like, with infertility. I'm like, mm-hmm. how about you don't tell me to just eat garlic? Like, how about we start right. with that? Or how about yeah. that, you know? Like, right. exactly. just stop caring. Then you'll get pregnant, right? Like, there's just stupid shit people say that is yeah. so... And I know there's got to be stuff like that with diabetes, especially, like, we'll just lose some weight, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Like, just lose weight don't eat carbs. Should you really be eating that? Can you eat that? Any kind of comments (laughs) related to what they're eating? Um, You know, just any comments that are related to somebody that you know, that had diabetes, where it did not end well, like, oh, my, uh, my grandma had diabetes, and she died from it, or like my whoever, like lost a limb from it, like, don't say that. Or Trying to compare to um, a pet that has diabetes, like I've heard so many people say um, that so many clients have told me that friends or family have made comments about, you know, oh, like my cat had diabetes. Yeah, I totally know what that's like. And like, no, your cat having diabetes does not compute to what it's like to have diabetes as a a human being. Um, It's just not the same. What is wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I have heard so many, so many wild things, Um, you know, just so many.
0: And you know what? I don't use the word ignorant in like an insult. It just means we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. And we don't spend time getting to know things that aren't in our world. Like if diabetes isn't part of your world, like why are you randomly researching how to be more empathic to people with diabetes? So no shame, but this is, I mean, I don't think I can post anything without someone saying, but what if I have diabetes? What if I'm pre-diabetic? What about this? Because relationship with food is inherently tied to this medical condition. And so mm-hmm. if it's okay if you don't know. It's okay if you mess up, and we can keep trying to do better here. Yeah. Um, any last uh, thoughts you have, like, at the takeaways for folks listening today?
1: Um, If you have any kind of diabetes diagnosis, and you are struggling in your relationship with food, you are absolutely not alone. And if nobody has ever acknowledged that for you, I am so deeply sorry, and also not at all surprised, unfortunately. Um, So you are not alone. Uh, And I don't just say that from my experience with clients. I also say that from the research that, you know, is saying that, and this is all hundred percent, uh, totally underestimating the number of people that are actually struggling. But, you know, people with type two, the, the research that we have says somewhere around like 40 to 50% of people with diabetes, with type two diabetes would meet criteria for an eating disorder and exhibit disordered eating behaviors. And somewhere also around like 35 to like 50 something percent of people with type one. And, uh, for a lot of reasons, that research is totally underreporting as well. So y- you are absolutely not alone.
0: Thank you so much for that. I, I'm realizing we didn't even say the word diabulimia during this podcast, and we don't have time to like, break that down. Can you and so anyone who's wondering about the cross section of like a, a diabetes based eating disorder? How do we what do we what do you suggest like a resource or can they find information on that?
1: Um, so the one thing I will say about the idea of diabulimia is that that is one very, very, very specific type of eating disorder. That is people with type one specifically, um, or insulin dependent diabetes specifically who, um, don't take enough insulin with the intention of losing weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you can also have any kind of diabetes and you can have binge eating disorder. You can have any kind of diabetes and have, you know, more traditional bulimia. You can have any kind of diabetes and have anorexia, any kind of diabetes and have orthorexia. So, you know, and the reason why I stress that and the reason why I specifically say that whenever I talk about this is because uh, unfortunately the place that we're at in, in our research and in our treatment programs and protocols is that, there is hardly anything out there about diabetes and eating disorders. The little that does exist is primarily focused on type one, or if it's on type two, it's talking about binge eating disorder and nothing else. Um, And it's very much rooted in fat phobia and Mm. weight stigma. And with the majority of it, the majority of the information research programs, resources that we have, they're all focused on type one. And within that, again, the majority of the tiny amount of information that we actually have that's, you know, on diabetes in general, we just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, there's such a tiny fraction of that research that is even on type one and any other kind of eating disorder besides diabulimia. So there's not a lot, but relatively a ton of information about diabulimia and nothing else. Mm. Um, For example, we uh, the only screening tool that currently exists that has anything to do with diabetes and eating disorders uh, screens for diabulimia. There's mm. no specific screening tool for any other kind of diabetes and any other kind of eating disorder. Wow. Um, so it just there's nothing. So that's the reason why I specifically stress that, not to uh, invalidate or um, uh, underrepresent how much of a struggle diabulimia is, but to highlight the immense struggle that so, 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 so many other people are living with and has not been acknowledged by humans in their life, professionals in their lives and um, the the research as well. Mm.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm trying to think back to like eating disorder conferences and you hear about diabulimia as kind of this big focus, Mm -hmm. which is great movement, but we, yeah, the the awareness we need to have that eating disorders affect all people and different types of eating disorders and people with diabetes don't only suffer with diabulimia and yes yes and the research sucks so let's let's keep (laughs) at it and i hope all y'all follow lauren on instagram after this i mean you're the person i refer to for anything diabetes related
1: i appreciate that thank you what's your handle and website feel free to follow along on Instagram. I uh, sporadically post it because just don't fully have the attention span or capacity for it most days. Um, <laughs> uh, but my, my handle is go feed yourself. And uh, my website is Lauren I have lots of information on my website resources. um I work with clients individually. I have several groups that I do and um, actually expanding the team at the end of this month. So even more opportunities to get support and even more resources will be coming in the next year. So,
0: yeah. You rock. Thank you for generously sharing your knowledge and expertise Mm -hmm. with your really nice balance of like compassion and research. And it's awesome. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it
0: thanks for listening to the therapy thoughts podcast but remember this podcast is not therapy this is for general informational purposes only The information on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any condition, illness, or disease. This also isn't intended to be financial, legal, medical, or therapeutic advice. Make sure you're always working with your own personal, licensed mental health counselor. May you be well.